Welcome to the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. I'm your host, Brooklyn, and I'm sharing how unconscious reprogramming helped me eliminate my own misophonia after more than 20 years of suffering. I'm also sharing how I support my clients using the same tools and modalities to help them lessen trigger sounds, alleviate the suffering they experience from misophonia, and create more joy in their lives. My degree in communication, coupled with my training and certification in working with the unconscious mind, creates a coaching environment with a unique approach to get you results. So with that being said, let's dive into the show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. Today is a very special episode because I am interviewing my fiance, Doug, and I'm still not sure how I got him to agree to this, but I'm so excited to share this episode with all of you because we talk about the challenges of living with someone who experiences misophonia, the accommodations that he made for me, the impact it had on our relationship, and and what it's been like now that I've cleared it. He offers some advice for partners and parents and and people who live with someone who experiences misophonia and so much more. So this is a really good episode to listen to, not only if you experience misophonia, but this could also be a good episode to share with loved ones. I am so excited. Thank you, Doug, for showing up on the podcast. And yeah, let's dive into the episode. So welcome to another episode of the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. Today I'm very excited because I have my fiance with me and it's one thing to hear about my experience, you know, from me, but I think it'll also be helpful to hear from someone who has never experienced misophonia before and kind of hear how did he have to maybe accommodate me? How did he change things in his life? What was he feeling when I would talk with him about being triggered? And also maybe this is an episode that you can share with a loved one in your life who also has never experienced misophonia and so that they can maybe hear from Doug kind of what he's done, what he was feeling, what he was thinking, because Doug's always been very, very good at advocating for me and making accommodations. And also I know that it's been difficult for him too to feel like he was causing me pain just because of noises that, you know, people make all the time that most people wouldn't even notice. So I'm really excited. Is there anything that you want to say before we kind of, I know I've given you some of the questions in advance, just so I'm not putting you on the spot, but is there anything that you want to say before we really dive into the questions or do you just want to get started? Let's get started. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So this is Doug's first podcast episode, so I appreciate you being here and doing this with me. Um, So yeah, let's just go ahead. I have some of these questions here and We'll just kind of see where it goes. But the first thing that I really wanted to ask you is what is kind of the biggest challenge in your experience living with someone who experiences misophonia? I think the biggest challenge to me was just becoming aware of the noises myself that I had previously just considered background noise I was never really aware of. So whether it be whistling or throat clearing or loud chewing, that never really was on my radar before. And then living with someone with misophonia, it then made me aware of those sounds in a way I hadn't been previously. So you wouldn't say that you were like bothered by them, but just having an awareness of them was, how, how was that challenging for you? Is it because you were looking out for me or just becoming hyper aware in general? Like what was the challenging part of being aware of those sounds? It was mostly being aware of them and 
concerned with how they would affect you, but it also got to where even if you weren't around, I was still noticing them as mm-hmm. something that would bother you. And it wouldn't necessarily bother me. Like I didn't feel a strong emotional reaction. It was just more an awareness that before I could have tuned out and it made it much more difficult to tune out because I was aware of how those noises could affect you. That's interesting. So with me kind of having cleared up the majority of my experience with misophonia, would you still say that you're hyper aware of these sounds or has that kind of dissipated since I've been doing the work for myself? No, it's dissipated. Uh, There are still times that I am aware of them, but there's also increasingly times where I hear them and they are just background noises and I don't realize until later that they'd been ongoing. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so what accommodations did you make for me that you can remember when I was suffering the most? So I can think of some, but I'm curious what what you remember, what you did for me. I think the main ones were probably just trying to separate myself. Uh, if I was going to be chewing something loud, for example, I would go in another room to eat. Yeah. Or if I was needing to clear my throat a lot, I would just try not to and kind of just live with the feeling of whatever I felt like I needed to get out of my throat. That's interesting. I remember the one thing that I felt so bad about is when you had COVID. And so you were in here. I say in here because we're recording this in the spare bedroom that is we've now turned into the office. But I remember you were in here and we had the door closed, but obviously you had to clear your throat and you were coughing a lot because you had this respiratory illness, you know, and I just remember like being downstairs on the couch crying and I felt so bad because you're obviously sick and you can't help it. And I'm sure that you felt bad as well because I wasn't sick. Thankfully, I didn't get COVID, but just being in that much pain and being frustrated. So I definitely appreciate all of the accommodations. Do you feel like you still catch yourself making those accommodations or have you become a little more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like maybe a little more lax on some of the things that you used to do or do you still kind of, are you still aware of and making changes just out of habit, if that makes sense? I still do somewhat. I'll still tend to eat in a different room sometimes or at least ask you, is this bothering you? Mm-hmm. Or I'll ask you, uh, do you mind if I clear my throat? Although generally now the answer is no, you don't mind, but I, I still find myself asking. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people ask me too, like, it, you really cleared your misophonia? Like you're really not bothered? And for me, I always say, I, I've said this a million times probably, but like on a scale from zero to five, I would put myself at like a 0.5. So I don't really feel like I've had a true like misophonia response to a trigger sound since February of this year when I first cleared it. So, but it's not that sounds never bother me or I don't find them annoying. It's just that they don't cause me to feel like intense rage, frustration, anxiety. And so there are still some times where like, maybe if you're clearing your throat a bunch, I'll be like, hey, maybe do you just make, you're making a lot of noise in there, but it's not so much of like a, oh my gosh, can you stop? Like, this is so annoying. This is so frustrating, but it's still, so being able to advocate for myself, but I feel like, have you noticed that less and less, like me even asking you to like, be mindful of those noises? Definitely. Uh, Definitely. You've been asking less. That's cool. Okay. So what changes have you noticed in me? Because I've obviously shared a lot, but we all have blind spots. And so I think it'll be interesting for them to hear from someone else and for me to hear too, because I don't even think I've really asked you this even outside of this podcast. So what changes have you noticed in me over the last year or since February of, of 2023, when I really kind of cleared up the last of of misophonia? 
Uh, the main one would be just less anger at those trigger noises. <laughs> yeah. Uh, less frustration, less crying uh, when it gets really overwhelming. I've still tried to be aware, and it's not that I'm just making all the, the noises I want without a thought about it anymore. I've still tried to be aware of it, but I've noticed if I am making those noises, so it tend to trigger you less of a reaction. Yeah, we've talked before about, too, how anger was, like, my primary go-to emotion. So even if it, even if we were in a situation where I wasn't necessarily being triggered by something, I, I feel like my response to any, like, even minor inconvenience would be this really misplaced rage. So I think that's cool to know that you've noticed that I've been less angry and less frustrated. Do you feel like the way that I express my anger is different as well? Or do you just feel like it happens less than it used to, if that question makes sense? No, it's different. I would say it's less less outright angry, more frustrated, maybe. So if there are still times that noises get to you, like you said, it would be a polite question to, you know, maybe stop making the noise versus just an outburst that it may have been before. Do you feel like my... So I appreciate that answer. And also to clarify, do you feel like my expression of anger in general, so not just related to trigger sounds, but whether it's something in our relationship or it's something I'm experiencing at work or something I've experienced with friends, do you feel like the way that I express anger in a general sense has changed or have you just noticed it around the trigger sounds? No, I think that's fair that in a more general sense, it's changed. Uh, Maybe just a little more patient in general, less prone to outbursts. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, it's helped even just being with you because I know when we first met, I considered you and I still do a very optimistic person. And I think, you know, like five years ago, I used to be, I used to be very, very pessimistic. So when we met, I don't think I was in that space, but I, I considered myself kind of more of like, uh, maybe like a, like a realist. So I didn't necessarily see myself as being optimistic, but I feel like even now, clearing up that experience of misophonia, I've been asked before, like, what is the most profound shift or thing that's changed? And for me, it's being able to have relationships with people that aren't based on sound. So like before, I would avoid certain events or certain people, not because of who they are as a person, but just because they made a certain set of noises. And so I would avoid them. And I would actually come up with reasons why I didn't like them, even though it was just based on the sounds. And so I think the biggest shift has just being able to actually get to know people on a deeper a deeper level. I don't know. Was there a question in that? I got lost in me talking about that. I didn't hear one. Okay. I thought maybe I was like gearing up to ask you something, but now I can't remember. Okay. So we we're talking about my experience with anger. I think that's very interesting. So have you noticed me using any coping mechanisms or rewiring techniques? And it's okay if the answer is no, but I'm just curious if you've actually like noticed or become aware of me doing certain things and if so kind of what have you noticed because I've obviously shared a lot on this podcast but I'm curious from an outsider's perspective if you've noticed I haven't noticed uh, the coping mechanisms I was used to seeing like uh, putting in earbuds or noise plugs or going to a room that's more isolated from sound so no I haven't noticed that in terms of rewiring mechanisms uh, the only one that comes to mind is sometimes asking me to make those trigger sounds Yeah, yeah. I remember I've shared that in a previous episode, how when I was working with, it was specifically with John Connolly, who founded RRT, 
he did kind of like an exercise with me on the call. And this was after we'd, we'd done some reprogramming. So he didn't just make sounds at me out of nowhere. But I remember we were going back and forth and it was basically seeing which one of us, this was John and me, seeing which one of us could match the throat clearing as close to one of my coworkers as possible. And then I remember I came downstairs and asked you, like, can we have a throat <laughs> clearing contest? So like, what were your thoughts when I, like, that's actually a really good question. I actually wrote that down as something I wanted to ask you, but it didn't make it on this list. So when I came down and asked you that, and then we were doing that back and forth, there was laughter and it felt silly and weird. What was, what were you thinking when you like saw that in me and not like me immediately being super frustrated? Like, how did that make you feel seeing that? I was definitely surprised at first and I was skeptical. Uh, Didn't really expect it to work. I thought that it would be overwhelming. So I would say ultimately I was pleasantly surprised that you were able to hear the noises, make the noises yourself without having a a reaction, a negative reaction to them. And when you say like surprise or skeptical, skeptical of that specific moment when I came down and asked you that or just skeptical of the process in general? Because I had been working a few months before that moment. So were you skeptical of the whole journey or are you specifically speaking on this one? No, just skeptical in the moment that you would be able to listen to me, make Mm -hmm. the noises, especially make them intentionally and be okay. Yeah. And I think it's, it's helpful for people to know too, that obviously when I came downstairs and we were doing that, it didn't bother me in that moment, but also there was progress that was made along the way. So I know like it was often that we would eat in different rooms. So we'd usually have like the TV going. I would eat, for example, like in front of the TV, you would eat in the kitchen if it was something crunchy like that. So we'd be separated. And I feel like it it happened over time. So we slowly kind of started eating more together Maybe the TV wasn't as loud or maybe I could actually be in there if you were eating something and I wasn't. So it didn't, it wasn't just like, it kind of in some ways did feel like an overnight shift, but I feel like there were, there was progress throughout. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but I feel like it was, you know, we, we started introducing more and more things that we wouldn't have done before. Yeah, totally agree. Do you remember, I'm just curious, do you remember the first like weekend that I had when I was totally trigger free? I do not. Okay. So the first time that I experienced it, I often talk about when I went to New York with my sister, my mom and my friend Lydia, but the true like first weekend was when we went to a wedding in Chicago. And that was really surprising to me because I was really sick. I did not get a lot of sleep. I actually had to skip the actual ceremony of the wedding because I felt so bad. And then I was able to rally for the reception. But do you remember like this is a, it may not be as pivotal for you because you haven't, you, you don't experience misophonia. But for me, I remember coming out of the bathroom and telling you like, I, I just realized that I just went 24 hours for the first time in, since I was little, not being triggered a single time. Like, do you remember that moment? And do you remember kind of like, what did you feel in that moment when I told you that? If you do remember it, if you don't, then. No, you know. I do remember that okay. moment now that you mention it. <laughs> Uh, I remember being really happy to hear that in the moment. And even though you said earlier how optimistic I am, I was probably still a little bit skeptical at the time that that could continue. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was a great milestone, and I was hopeful that it would, but I was still somewhat skeptical that that could be a lasting change. So, yeah, that's that's... I think that's so interesting. So you were happy for me, but also just, like, skeptical, like, will this last? So I think similar question like when I came home from New York and I was like oh my gosh like my sister who I've shared this before she used to be one of my 
biggest triggers. Like her sounds would affect me more than others. And I think it's because, you know, we grew up together and the whole shebang. But spending time with my sister, my mom, and my friend in that teeny tiny hotel room and being able, I mean, we were, I was wedding dress shopping. So that was a really special moment. So for me to be able to experience that and be totally in the present moment, like, do you also remember me coming home and telling you like, what was that like for you to hear that? Because I think that was maybe two weekends after the the wedding or maybe even the weekend after it was it was soon after. Yeah, I do remember that. And I, I guess just generally, the more it continued to happen, the more you continued to share that you had these experiences without feeling triggered, you know, mm-hmm. over the longer period of time, then it started to feel more real. And then my natural optimism took over. And I really started to see that change and hope that it could be lasting. So do you still have any skepticism now? Because this was February, we're recording this, it'll come out in 2024, but we're recording it in December. Do you still feel like you have some skepticism around it? Or have you really just been like, okay, this is cool? No, I, I'm definitely very happy for you. I would say I'm no longer skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not worried that it, it could continue. But like I said, I still am noticing the the sounds that I make. So it'll maybe take a little while for me to let my guard completely down, you know, to stop asking you, is this noise bothering you? Which maybe isn't always helpful to even say that. But so I think that's more just kind of a a learned behavior that will take a little bit more time to get rid of, but it's not due to skepticism about the changes. I, so I really appreciate that because I know that some people's partners or family members are not as supportive as you have always been for me. So I definitely think having a supportive partner helped me to make progress as quickly as I did because it was a relatively quick turnaround. And I know I've talked about before, I kind of had the foundations. I feel like I had a head start in this work, if you will, because I had the foundations of unconscious reprogramming and rewiring. So I had already worked on so many other areas of my life. So then applying it to misophonia, it felt like I had a good foundation to work from. And also just having you be so supportive was always very helpful. And there was a question that I was leading up to. Oh, yes. So one of the things that I've shared before, and we don't have to talk about it too much if you don't want to talk about it. But one of the things that I've shared before is some people who don't have maybe partners who are as supportive or family members or parents or whoever, it's usually because, or at least from my point of view and what I've heard from working with clients, it's simply because their partner or loved one or whoever doesn't understand what it is that a person with misophonia is experiencing. And so it's really easy to say, well, oh, you just need to get over it. Or why, you know, no one else is noticing this. Why is it bothering you? And I think something that really helped me get it, not get my own experience with misophonia. Of course, I know what that's like, but it helped me understand someone in your shoes, for example, or understand, you know, my dad's perspective or my mom's perspective is that you have this like sensitivity to lights, like certain overhead lights. And I remember when we were first dating, I thought that was so dumb. I was like, I want to have all the lights on. Why can't we have the lights on? Like, this is ridiculous. And you would remind me like, can you turn off the stairwell light or whatever? And so it finally clicked in me like, oh, I don't know what's going on in his mind. I don't understand why this is triggering for him, but this is probably how he felt about me with noises. And so it's like everyone kind of has maybe something that they're experiencing that they can't quite explain. And so what allowed you to be able, like when we were first together and especially when we moved in together, what made it, and maybe it wasn't easy, it just seemed easy to me, what made it so easy for you to make those accommodations and try to understand, even though it was something that you didn't experience? 
I think not specific to misophonia, but just a general, you know, I just generally try and be empathetic and mm-hmm. to listen to people about their experiences and how they're feeling. And if I can do something to help, then, then I want to. So that's really what it came down to is, you know, obviously I knew how you felt from you saying it. And then the reactions were very obvious as well. Uh, so it wasn't a question of, you know, not understanding necessarily or not believing you like oh this isn't a real thing like it was I mean it was very apparent that it is so it was just you know what can I do to lessen the impact of the noises I'm making uh, for you to be more comfortable. Was there anything that I specifically said or shared with you that helped you not necessarily get it because it's still not something that you've really experienced but is there anything that I said to you or shared with you that helped you relate more to me or kind of understand a bit better what I was feeling. I think there were two things that really stuck with me uh, as to the impact it was having on you. One was just relaying to me how long you'd been struggling with this and how it had affected you since a very young age. So just the understanding that this was, you know, a long, long time thing you'd been suffering with. Uh, and then the other was just seeing reactions to some sounds, uh, specifically the previous apartment you lived in and hearing noise out on the street, for example, and how it would be really debilitating, uh, mm-hmm. you know, preventing you from focusing on anything or it would it would really just take an obvious toll on you mentally. So seeing that in person and then relating it back to how long you'd been struggling with it was what made the biggest impact to me. And I, I think that a lot of people who experience misophonia, there's a hesitation to share that experience with someone because there are some people out there who do kind of use it in a way that they might find funny. So people making noises on purpose to see people squirm, or maybe someone with the best intention shares it with someone else. And maybe, you know, we didn't necessarily want that other person to know. So, but I did find that if I was you know, if I were trying to build a relationship with someone, there were times where maybe I wouldn't tell someone right away. And I feel personally that that only hurt the relationship more than it did help, especially if there is, let's say your partner is making a noise that, you know, is triggering. There's a lot of resentment that can build up there. And so rather than sharing kind of what's going on and letting that person in, that resentment can fester and and lead to maybe dissatisfaction in in the relationship. So I'm glad to know that even though it was probably difficult for you to see that in me, that that was something that helped you kind of understand it a bit more. So one of the other questions, this is the last one. I have have a couple, but this is the last one like on my pre-written list. And I think I accidentally skipped over this one. How has me healing my experience with misophonia impacted our relationship? We've touched on that a little bit, but I'm curious if you have more to add to that. I think it's helped in that I don't feel as much of a burden at times. Maybe not a burden, but you know, I don't I don't like feeling like the noises that I was making unintentionally or noises that maybe felt essential to me to make, like when I was clearing my throat because I have this feeling like I need to clear my throat and knowing that just doing that was causing you pain. So it made me... Uh, you know, just feel bad that I was causing that stress to you. So that's definitely improved. And outside of that, just your ability to be in more social situations has helped, you know, being around family members that make noises, uh, 
being at larger events and gatherings, I think that's helped our social life as well. Oh, yeah, I agree. So I guess kind of my last question to wrap this up, and I'm very grateful that you're doing this with me. So the last question I want to ask you is, do you have any advice or suggestions for like let's say that someone is sharing this episode with a loved one a spouse whoever who doesn't experience misophonia do you have anything that you want to share with them so that they can either you know to help them understand what their partner is going through to be a better partner to help make accommodations is there anything that you want to share with someone who has has been or is currently in your shoes just in general i would say when someone tells you how they're feeling, believe them. Don't try and, you know, pick it apart with logic and say, well, that doesn't make sense, or no, you shouldn't. Just believe them and do what you can to to help ease their suffering and understand that they don't wish to be in this situation either. You know, it's not anything that anyone would choose, so don't make them feel ashamed for it, or don't make them, you know, feel that they're putting you out by asking to make, stop making certain noises. Just do your best to accommodate and when not possible, then just remove yourself, you know, slightly from the situation. So if you need to make a noise, then step away, just give a little bit of space and just generally be supportive. I think that's great. And I will speak to the other side as the person who was suffering and and someone who supports people who currently are suffering from it. I think that goes both ways as well. So obviously having open communication with your partner and having a supportive partner or mom or dad or friend or whoever is great. And also you know, it's it's not something that they experience. And so it may not be something that's on their mind 24-7. Or we talked about earlier when Doug was sick. I mean, he couldn't not clear his throat. Like, he was very sick. And so it, it is difficult to have some compassion for the other side. I, I understand that because I lived in that place for a long time. And also, just like, you know, I shared with Doug's light sensitivity. At first, it was difficult for me to have compassion because I was like, that's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? But I realize we all have some kind of experience that might be difficult to put into words. And so being able to have some grace, have open discussions and figure out how you both can make accommodations. So there would be some times where maybe Doug wanted to eat crunchy chips or cereal or whatever, and I would remove myself from the situation or I would put in my AirPods. So both kind of finding a way to meet in the middle, I think is is very helpful and not putting all of the responsibility on the the person who isn't experiencing it because I don't think that would be fair. I mean, I've talked about how fairness doesn't really matter in terms of, you know, your misophonia relief journey, but I do think it's helpful to communicate and collaborate together. Can I ask you one more question and then I promise it'll be the last one? Shoot. Okay. How do you feel, and this is not me just trying to get compliments or whatever, I promise. How do you feel about now seeing me take this experience, something I suffered with for years and years and years, and something that did cause a lot of, you know, difficulties in our relationship? How do you feel now seeing me now being able to support other people in the community? What has that been like for you just watching that or even getting to be a part of that because you were so helpful in helping me clear up my experience with misophonia? Well, it makes me incredibly proud of you. I can remember the way that you felt when I would, you know, a lot of times I go into solution mode of wanting to offer solutions and help solve a problem. So I was trying to look up, you know, what are the options for treating misophonia or what are the, you know, what cures are out there and trying to, you know, get you to take a look at them. And obviously most, if not all of them, you'd already looked into and done research on and knew there was really nothing effective that could help you. And just 
seeing the, you know, the emotional toll that took on you feeling like nothing was ever going to be able to help you, was never going to get better. Uh, and sometimes those emotions were, were the strongest. It wasn't, you know, the emotion of hearing a trigger sound and your reaction to that. It was kind of the depression that went along with it of, you know, even in times when there weren't any trigger noises, knowing or anticipating the next time you would hear it and just feeling like nothing was ever going to be able to help you. So to see you take what you've learned and what you're able to do and, you know, give that hope to other people, it just makes me incredibly proud. Oh, thank you. That's a really good point too. what you said about, like, even if there wasn't a sound, still being really frustrated or upset or depressed. And that's something that I talk with a lot about my clients is that spiral that we go down that it's so easy to follow like that rabbit hole, but it's, or go down that rabbit hole, but it's not necessarily always useful. And so rather than spending our time spiraling and and going through all the what ifs, like I'm never going to have a normal life. Why can't I be like everyone else? Using that time to actually reset, recharge, using it intentionally to, to do the work. So I, I really wasn't asking you that just for you to say something nice about me, but I appreciate you sharing that because it did kind of bring up another point that I wanted to make about there's, there's one thing of being triggered in the moment. It's a whole other experience to then be worried about the next trigger, thinking about what that's going to be like, you know, in the, in the future. So, okay. So I had to cut out the last part of the episode because we were laughing so much about a joke that Doug made. So I had to cut part of that out. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was really it was really cool for me to sit down with Doug too, because some of these questions or some of these conversations we've had before, but a lot of the things that I asked him today, we really haven't sat down as a couple and and talked about them. So not only am I hoping it brings value for you and your loved ones, but it also was cool for me to hear his thoughts on, on this journey as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Let's Ditch Misophonia podcast. I couldn't do this without your support, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Doing so helps others find this podcast and start their journey to relief too. And of course, if you'd like to continue working with me, always check the show notes for the latest updates on the programs I offer, and you can visit rewiremisophonia.com. Catch you in the next episode.